Uh, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Um, and I get to bring the second part of the series of This Is Our God. And uh, this series is actually um, not just to hear about a man who performed nearly the most miracles in the Bible, second to Jesus. Um, it's to not just go, oh, how cool was God back then? How cool was he in Elisha's time? But that we would hear these stories and go, how good is God now? How good that this God of Elisha is still the God of us and he is still the God of today. To not build up a man of a God of, of the Bible of a long time ago, that we would build up the God of today. That as you can see, that we use that the God is the same yesterday in Elisha's day. He's the same today and he's going to be the same tomorrow. He's going to be good and he's going to be faithful and he's going to be true to his word. And so um, that is what we're really hoping to get out of this series. It goes for quite a number of weeks. And um, if you didn't get it from last week, we are following the life of Elisha. And um, Elisha was Elijah's um, protege. And um, today we pick up the story from last week. But if you weren't here, don't, don't worry. It's not like you needed to be here. You're not going to get it. Sorry. Um, but we'll just, we'll pick it up. But today we look at Elisha's first miracle is what the Bible scholars call his first miracle. Last week, we actually saw him split the Jordan River, which I would kind of consider a miracle. But um, Bible scholars by now are like, well, bit old hat. Everyone's doing it. Um, so they jump to the next miracle, and um, we consider this to be the first miracle. And um, now this story takes place in a town that looks really good. It's really well situated, a great location, and all seems well, but the water's bad. In this town, the water is bad. And as soon as I read uh, that in the Bible, I thought of a story from when I was about seven years old. Um, it was a Saturday morning, and we we kids did our Saturday morning thing. Dad was already out washing dogs because he owned the Newcastle Mobile Dog Wash. And um, us kids would run down uh, the hallway and jump in mum's bed and just, I don't know, just hang out, that kind of thing. And that morning I said to mum, hey mum, can I have any juice? Jessica, you know we don't have juice in this house. Okay, no juice. Um, well, the, I know there's cordial. Can I please have some cordial this morning? She goes, fine, but I'm not getting out of bed. Bring the cordial, the water and a cup and I'll make you some. And so I, I race out of bed, grab the cordial, grab a bottle of water and a cup and I take it to mum. And uh, I, I watch her do this thing, and she's making it up. And as most mums do, she takes a big swig to make sure that it tastes okay. And the next thing I, I remember is mum just spitting it everywhere. And I just went, oh, what's wrong with it? And she grabbed the bottle of water, and she goes, that's not water, that's vinegar. And, and there was no amount of cordial that would make that sweet, okay? There was no amount of fruit being put in to make that sweet. And this is the same as in this town where the miracle takes place today. The water is bad and I don't care. No amount of cordial was gonna make this sweet. And so I, um, I've done a very teacher-esque thing today and done PowerPoint slides. Hit it, Caleb. Um, um, first... <laughs> First thing you'll notice is that the internet doesn't have clip art for chariots of fire. So I improvised. And um, that is Elijah Ewing on his way to heaven. 
And, um, okay, and so we pick up the story there. And Elijah gets taken off in a chariot of fire. Um, Elisha comes back. He's all upset. He rips his clothes. He's devastated. And then these guys go, oh, let's, let's go look for Elijah. And Elisha just goes, no, really? You're not going to find him. I saw him. He, he went. Like, and, um, and then so they send out. But Elisha goes on to Jericho. He just thinks, forget this. I'm going on to Jericho. And um, this story that we actually have a look at today with Elisha, you could so easily skip. It's like, three scriptures, you could skip by it. But if you understand why it was taking place in this place, in the place of Jericho, it becomes and takes on a whole new meaning, a whole different life. And so to understand that, we need to see that um, the importance of Jericho. The first time that we see Jericho um, is a couple hundred years before when Joshua had the Israelites in the wilderness and they were in the wilderness, the city of Jericho was in the middle and there was the promised land and there was a void here that they needed to uh, get past the city of Jericho, that something had to happen there. And they had uh, three options. They had the option of one, defeat the city, good option. Second, assimilate and stay in the city, not very good option. Or third, probably the worst, stay in the wilderness. And uh, Joshua at the time listens to God and God says, Joshua, I have got this. I have got this. Don't be scared. Be very courageous. Go in, walk around that city seven times and the walls will come down and I've got this. And that's where we get the famous story of the walls of Jericho. And, And so God made a way from the wilderness to the promised land for the Israelites. And so this is where we first see Jericho. And Jericho needed to be conquered for the Israelites to be able to enter into what God had for them, what God had prepared for them, what God had promised for them. And when the walls came tumbling down, Joshua proclaimed and he said, at that, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath, cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho, at the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations, at the cost of his youngest son, he will set up his gates. And the uh, Bible is very symbolic and we don't have a God of coincidences, he goes, oh, how good this, that's good how that worked out, good. He is very, very um, strategic about where he places things. And this story of Elisha today is strategically placed in the city of Jericho because there is some symbols here that God wants us to see. Because the children, it is not a far off story that doesn't relate to us. It's not thousands and thousands of years ago that we can just look back. God was trying to tell us something, that the wilderness was actually us. And the thing in the middle stopping us from God was the law. And the promised land is relationship with God. It is a symbol that we need to, if we didn't have a look, if we didn't delve deeper, we could pass over very, very quickly in the, in the few scriptures that we have. And they also had three options. They had three options and we have three options. We have one, we can stay in a spiritual wilderness apart from God and not try and connect with him and just keep plodding along and doing life as a lot of people do. 
We have the option to try and fulfill the law. Good luck with that. Only Jesus could fulfill the law because it is so, um, it is so far above us that we would always just be trying and failing and trying and failing. Or there's another option that we need a deliverer to be able to conquer the law that we could get to God. And just as Joshua was the deliverer for the children of Israel, so was Jesus the deliverer for us that he fulfilled the law. And so as we go through this story today, I don't want you to think it's some far off story. It is an actual representation of what is happening in our lives today. That we still have a choice, do we stay in a wilderness apart from God? We still have a choice of whether we just try and work our way to the Father or do we receive the beautiful gift of Jesus and just say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that I can have relationship with God now. And so the miracle that we're going to have a look at takes place a couple of hundred years after, after the Joshua falling down thing. And so that says one thing to us. Someone rebuilt the city. Who rebuilt the city? The the city that Joshua said that no one should ever rebuild this. This place is cursed. And uh, the miracle takes place in Jericho. And after Joshua had warned everyone, don't rebuild this city. This place is cursed. Elisha, our main man today and for the next few weeks, finds himself in a rebuilt city that God had cursed hundreds of years before. And so to find out who actually had the guts to rebuild this city, we look in 1 Kings 16.34. And um, you got to look for it as well. It's, it's It's in the book before that we even get to our story. And it says, during his reign, which is King Ahab that was reigning in that time, that Hiel, a man from Bethel, rebuilt Jericho. When he laid its foundations, it cost him the life of his oldest son, Abram. And when he completed it and set up its gates, it cost him the life of his youngest son, Sigub. This all happened according to the message from the Lord concerning Jericho, spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. Hiel was the guy that rebuilt Jericho. He rebuilt what God had torn down. He rebuilt on a curse. And... uh, One thing to note here is that this guy was from Bethel. And Bethel in in this time was symbolic of fellowship with God. It was a place known that people would go and fellowship with God. Some very um, famous visions took place there. Things were set up there. It was known as a place of fellowship with God. And so as Hiel was in the place of fellowship with God, somewhere along the line, he looked back to what had already been torn down and decided to go and rebuild what God had torn down. And if you're taking notes this morning, your first point is that retreating from God's presence will always result in a rebuilding of the past. You always seem to go back to trying it on your own. And as Hiel retreated from Bethel, the place where God uh, was known to have relationship with people, he turned around. And as you retreat from God's presence, you will return to building a life on your own. You will return to rebuilding of the past. And how often does this happen for us? How often do we know that things are bad for us? Habits, relationships, places, things, TV shows, and things that we've conquered 
God has already torn down and said, you know what, that's probably going to be a curse if you keep that in your life. We seem to go back to it. I know there was a few teenage relationships that probably shouldn't have been rebuilt for me. And God said, hey, they're really cursed. Don't go back. But when we step out of relationship with God, we retreat back to relying on ourselves. And that's the law trying to work our way, trying to make sure that we can do it on our own. And it's easy to see Hael here and just think, what were we thinking? It's easy to question what you can see physically, but what do we rebuild spiritually and emotionally and mentally that people can't see? What attitudes do we keep rebuilding that God said, tear that down? What, what jealousy or envy or coveting do we keep building up? What anger, what lack of joy do we keep building up because we retreat from God's presence? And these are all things that are rebuilt when we no longer desperately desire his presence and we start doing it on our own. And not only did Hael turn back from a place of freely uh, uh, fellowshipping with God, it actually cost him his inheritance. If you read, if you saw in that scripture, his two sons were sacrificed as he rebuilt that city. And if we decide to take, not take Jesus up on grace and not take Jesus up on his offering, we go back to law. It all relies on our shoulders and we miss out of the inheritance of right standing with God. That is our inheritance of Jesus Christ, that we can freely walk into his presence. Jesus didn't only take our place on the cross, our sins, our bad place. We took his place of being able to stand in the face of God and talking to him freely without guilt or shame. When we step back into law, we don't only lose that fellowship, we lose our inheritance. And Hael paid a very big price that day. Galatians 2.21 says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Only living in God's grace and close communion with Him can make sure we're not rebuilding what He's already torn down. And so Hael has rebuilt the city and um, now we finally see Jump about a hundred or so years in front. We see Elisha comes into the story and we find him in the rebuilt Jericho and some men come and see him and it's in 2 Kings 2.19 and they say, the men of the city said unto Elisha, behold, the seat of this city is good as my Lord sees it, but the water is evil and the ground is barren. And then he said, bring me a new curse, cruise and put salt in it and they brought it to him. They came up and they said, hey, Elisha, I know you can see this is all good. This place is good, huh? It's really good. I had some students last week when I was teaching, decided to have a water fight in my class, in my class. And I said, I do a good teacher voice sometimes. Uh, Excuse me. And, um, And they're like, miss, it's all G. And I went, excuse me. I will tell you what is old G and what is not old G. And um, you will not tell me that water fights in my classroom is old G, all right? This is not old G. And don't G me again, all right? I'm your teacher. And, um, and then um, 
they stopped. They, I'm sure they hated me after that, but that's okay. But these people went up to Elisha and said, hey, look, it's good. It is good. If you're taking points, the next point is call it what God calls it. These people came up to Elisha in a city that was cursed and said, it's good. It is good. When God had actually called that place cursed, not just mm, not much to do there. Oh, nice place to visit, wouldn't want to live there. It was cursed. Do not rebuild this. And we need to start calling some things in our lives as God calls it. And, and when we step out of that relationship with God, our, our perspective gets warped. Things that we would have never thought was good before, things that we would have thought, no, that, don't build that in your life, seem to start looking good. And what, things we might call good, God might call greedy. And things that we call entertainment, God might say, that goes against every part of my character. Why would you enjoy that? And things that we think is busy, God might say, that's really bad stewardship of the time I gave you. We need to be in his presence constantly so we, know, so we don't fall into the trap of, of calling curses good. We need to call it what God calls it. And if you started to rebuild something in your life that God has torn down, today might be the day to actually call it what it is. Call it what it is. If there is nothing, if that situation is not fruitful, if it is not bearing goodness, if it is not starting to see the characteristics of God come through that in your life, time to call it what it is. Call the thing that's cursed, cursed. And step back in, take it to God. Take those things you're calling good and see what God calls it. See what God calls it. And so Elisha hears this. The men walk up and go, hey, it's good. And Elisha, in all his grace, does not roast them. He doesn't go, what, what did you call that? <laughs> he didn't say how stupid it was to build a curse, to build your life on a curse. But he says, bring me a new cup. Bring me a new cup. So they've come, they've told him, look, the land's good. Everything's good. Some new hip families are moving in the neighborhood. Like there's some things going on here that's really working for us. One thing, the water is really bad. And point three, for new water, we need a new cup. He didn't ask for an old cup. Just bring me that one you've been doing all those religious ceremonies with. Yeah, that'll do. He didn't ask for the one that was in the, in the sink that was dirty. He asked for a new cup, one without spot and one without blemish, one that had been free from sacrificial things that had been used or to pagan gods. He wanted a new cup. And what Elisha is actually doing here is he's pointing uh, centuries down the track and he's pointing to Jesus so that you and I today would see the symbol of Jesus in the new cup. God uses so much symbolism in his Bible, it's, it's unbelievable to tear apart. But Elisha here is going, if you have rebuilt your life on a curse, if you've, you've tried to do it on your own, look, I'm going to bring a new cup and his name is Jesus. 
His name is Jesus and He will take all those things that you're trying to work your way to God, you're trying to do this to impress God and this will be enough. And and the cup that would defeat law once and for all, that would cancel out the things that stop us from having free access to God. This is the cup Elisha's talking about. It was very practical right then and there, but it's exactly what you and I need right here and right now is the cup of grace. And that cup represented a new covenant, one that is not under law, one that clears all sins, all attitudes, all those hidden things that you don't want people to find out. This was the new cup. And it's enough of rebuilding what God has torn down. We need to pick up the new cup. The law is finished. We need to quit trying to tell everyone how good we're doing. Let the fruit speak for itself. Don't tell everyone, oh, I'm on this roster. I do this. I'm so busy. I do that. I, it's, it's all good. Is it? Is there fruit there? Is there joy there? Do people like being around you because the Spirit of God's on you? And Jesus says in Galatians 5, in this freedom Christ has made us free and completely liberated us. Stand fast then and do not be hampered in and held ensnared and submit again to the yoke of slavery. Stand fast? It seems a bit of a contradiction to stand fast in freedom. Why would we need that? Because our selfish nature so wants to do things for ourselves that we would get the glory. But we need to stand fast just on what Jesus has done. Stand fast when the voices are so loud and they say, no, you need to do more to be okay with God. You need to do more. You're not good enough. Stand firm on that Jesus is enough. The new cup brings new life. And then he says something else. He says, put salt in it. Fourth point, it was the cup and the salt that healed the waters. Church, today, if you have found grace and the beautiful new cup of salvation, let me assure you, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe he died for your sins, you've invited him into your heart, you are saved and saved indeed. Nothing and no one can take that. But there comes a time where God calls us to more. There was salt in that cup. It needed to be cup and salt. What do we mean by this? Elisha took the cup and he took the salt and he went to the water source and he, he poured it in and healed the waters. It wasn't just the cup and it wasn't just the salt. It was both. If God didn't need us to be a part of his plan for the gospel being shared on the earth today, I've no doubt we would be hanging in heaven this morning. But God needs us here to be salt of the earth, to be light on a hill. And Elisha showed us as Christians what we need to do if we have experienced the life-transforming experience of grace. It is our job to now go out and heal the land. The cup is not just for you. And it only took one salty cup to heal the land. It just takes one of us to go, you know what? I'm going to do what you're asking me to do, God. 
Jesus calls us to be salt and light of the earth. The reasons Christians sometimes get a bad rap is because we keep the cup for ourselves. We are so stoked swigging on this new cup that we never actually think about the guy who doesn't have the cup next to us. And we are not called to go out and tell the world how bad they are or how they're missing it. How could you be so stupid? We are not called to be like that. We are actually called to leave sweetness in people's lives. It was the salt that made the bitter water sweet. There's a whole world out there that is so desperate for the reality of God. Turn on the news. High alert everywhere. I've been on high alert all week. Gosh, that high alert thing came out and I was going to a concert in Sydney. I was literally out, why have you got a backpack on? Why are you doing that? Like, and then the show started with fireworks. I'm like, I'm done. We're done, Luke. I've been on high alert everywhere. This world needs... A little love. It needs salty Christians. It needs some salty grace that people wouldn't get around you and go, oh, they're Christians, they're all prudes. That you would bring life. That people like being around you because Christ's in you. There's this beautiful passage, and I've got it up there, Caleb. Yeah, awesome. From a book called Story of the Prophets and Kings. And it's a, it's a book that takes apart all kings, the books of kings. And it says, The world needs evidence of some sincere Christianity. The poison of sin at work at the heart of society. Cities and towns are steeped in sin and moral corruption. The world is full of sickness, suffering and iniquity. Nigh and afar off are souls in poverty and distress, weighed down with a sense of guilt and perishing for a want of a saving influence. The gospel is truth. The gospel of truth is kept ever before them, yet they perish because the example of those who should be a savor of life to them is a savor of death. Their souls drink in bitterness because the springs are poisoned when they should be like a well of water springing up into, unto everlasting life. Salt must be mingled with the substance to which it is added. It must penetrate, infuse it, that it may be preserved. So it is through personal contact and association that men and women are reached by the saving power of the gospel. They are not saved as masses, but as individuals. Personal influence is a power. It is a work with the influence of Christ, to lift where Christ lifts, to love where Christ loves, and to impart principles. It is to diffuse that grace which Christ alone can impart. It is to uplift, to sweeten the lives and characters of others by the power of pure, pure example, united with earnest faith and love. That is the perfect example of what Christianity should be in our world. That we would bring sweetness to people's lives. It is not our job to tell people where they are going wrong and how bad they are or how, how they're failing. It is our job to lift up Christ. It is our job to lift him up. And if our lives leave any other taste in people's mouths, you may be building on a curse that God tore down many years ago. And after Elisha pours the salt into the source, the new cup 
representing grace and the salt representing you and I on earth, Elisha declares this, I have healed these waters. From here shall be no more barrenness or death and it remains to this day. And the same promise of Jesus is spoken over you. I have healed your past. You shall, you shall know death no more from this day forward. No longer are we under the law, of, under the law but we are under grace. And then in the next verse, it says, Elisha left and went to Bethel. God does not do things by coincidences. The man who left Bethel, relationship with God to rebuild on a curse, the law, the man who came and healed the waters, went straight back to Bethel. Back to the place where in relationship with God, Elisha pointed to Jesus, came and declared a new cup, the cup of grace, healed the waters and then set off to Bethel to a place of fellowship with God. The law will always keep us from God because we'll always feel bad about ourselves. We'll always, our, our faults will be so evident in front of us. But grace wipes that away and grace leads us to God. And first and foremost, before we even see any other miracles in the life of Elisha, and they are insane miracles, first and foremost, God performs this through Elisha. He does this first. He makes sure that before the raising of dead, before the providing of all earthly needs, God does this. He makes sure that we know from the very outset that God is a God who restores cursed places and barren places and fruitless lives. He is a God that has mercy on people even when they go back to the mess He died to save them from. He is a God, not just of Elisha. He is the God of today and before any other, miracle that we could go wow at. God wants us to stand in awe that He did this for us, not just back then, but He did it today. That He is a God with a new cup, a new covenant, and a covenant away by Jesus Christ. This, this is our God. The same as Elisha's God, the same as my God, and the same as the generations to come. God is a God of grace and love and life and peace and forgiveness and joy and gentleness and kindness and self-control. This is our God, not the God of judgment telling you how bad you are. He loves you. He loves you. And there is a world that needs to hear that. If today you hear this and go, oh, well, there's things you, you, there's still some things you need to do. No, Jesus has done it. Jesus has done it. And when you're in that relationship with God, your heart will desire to live in a way that honors Him. That's what grace does. And this is our God. This is our God. Amen? Amen. If the band want to come, I would love to sing that last Broken Vessel song because it declares how good God's grace is. But also I want to actually make space for people who, have gone, who are thinking, you know what, and this is probably a brave thing, I have rebuilt, I've begun to rebuild what God has torn down. If I'm really, really honest with myself, I probably don't leave a whole heap of sweetness around. 
or I am, I forgot that Jesus did it all. And I have just tried to work my way. I'm trying to be good. Am I good enough yet, God? Am I good enough now? He said, Jesus was good enough 2,000 years ago. Would you just hang out with me? And if you want prayer today, today I'm calling a few things what God calls it. We'll stand with you and we'll pray. If you wanna say, hey, I have never known that cup. I have always known that church is all about religion, do's and don'ts and step through this hoop and jump through this hoop. Today, I just want that love. I believe in that. I believe that I can believe in. We'd love to pray with you too. But as a church, I would just love for us to worship and lift up the beautiful name of Jesus just for a few moments, just to give Him praise that this is our God, that this is the God we serve, that the God that we serve brings joy and peace and everything that this world needs. This is our God. Amen.